So I have a bit of a car problem. It's not really so much a mechanical problem as it is just a, a, an accumulation problem. Uh, thing, things go into my car, lots of things. They don't always come out. Um, if you've ever read The Silver Chair in the Chronicles of Narnia series, there's all those sad gnomes who are going around saying, many fall down, but few return to the sunlit lands. That's actually, I think they're talking about my car um, at, that, at that point. Um, this, this drives my husband Rob crazy. He, he has a very clean car. He has a very neat and organized car. I've told you before, his, his, his theory on cars is that when you hit the brakes, nothing should move right? And, and that's not true of my car. He has a lot, he does have things in his car, but they're like useful things in his trunk. He has jumper cables and, and a number of tools in case, you know, an emergency breaks out somewhere. Um, in my car right now, you could find uh, twinkle lights. Um, you could find a baby food maker and a bicycle. So, uh, you know, in case, a, in case a family-friendly Christmas party breaks out somewhere, that's what I'm prepared for. So we're very different people. But recently, Rob has been selling things on eBay that he no longer uses, Dave Ramsey style. I'm very excited for him. And, and, and I work right next to the post office at the Herndon campus. And so he has entrusted me to mail some of these packages of these things that he's selling. And uh, when I leave the house with one of his packages, uh, he'll usually send me a text message or something that says, hey, don't forget to get the tracking number. And, and of course, uh, that's important because some of these things are reasonably valuable. But the last time I took a package for him, uh, you know, I, I brought the receipt home with the tracking number on. I set on the table, and I watched that evening as he was tidying things up. He took the he took the receipt, he saw it, he looked at it, put it on top of some junk mail, and then he threw it away. And I realized he trusts the U.S. Postal Service to get the package to where they say they're taking it. He it's he's not tracking he's not tracking the package. He's tracking me. He's tracking me. He doesn't trust me and that I will do what I said I do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good strategy because many things go into my car and few return to the sunlit lands. Um, I, I can't blame him. Today is uh, Regroup Sunday, and, and that's that one Sunday of the year when we trick you into listening to a regroup teaching, and then we invite you all to join us on Monday nights. But we are continuing, as mentioned in, in the Sermon on the Mount, because when I was looking at these passages, I was looking at this next passage chronologically, and it's actually, it's, it, it's perfect for us. It's a, it's a passage about not taking oaths, and I really liked it. That's oaths, O-A-T-H-S, not oats, which is what my husband and Tracy Beeson thought that I meant when I was talking about it earlier this week. Um, I was originally going to use an Old Testament text, uh, but I changed my mind because this, this, this passage is perfect for us. It's, at its core, it's about telling the truth. It's about doing what you say you'll do. And a, a regroup, that's kind of our bread and butter. So, so we are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. You guys narrowly escaped an action-packed episode about gathering quail from Numbers 11. So maybe next time. If you've been tracking with us, uh, you'll recall that this, this sermon began with the Beatitudes, the blessings, blessings on the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, so in other words, blessings on us when we recognize our poverty of spirit, when we know there's not enough good in us to be good enough for God. And these are blessings, not rewards, uh, at least the, the first four, because they reflect our needs, not our merits. And we, we, we can see the gospel already in that. The Sermon on the Mount begins down here where we are instead of up there where we want to be. From the blessings, Jesus empowers us with the you are statements. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not you will be, but you are. Be who you are. And then Jesus prepares us to hear his commands by inviting us to engage not just the, the, the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. He says, I haven't come to abolish it. I've come, come to fulfill it. Kum, that verb that also means resurrection. Jesus breathes new life into the law. And then finally, we arrive at the commands themselves. These, uh, some call, scholars call these the antitheses because they, they present something instead of the law that was previously heard. 
So you, you've heard it was said, but I say unto you, ego de lego umin, I say unto you. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. It will be in your bulletin if you want to follow along as I read. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made him. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is God's word. And you might be thinking, who cares? Who cares? Jesus says not to swear oaths. Done. I will never swear an oath again. Finish. Let's grab the kids and hit Starbucks. Well, back up just a second. Um, this, this may sound easy, but is it really what if, you, what if you tried to live one month of your life without ever swearing any oaths? That seems easy enough, right? Oh, but wait, um, if, uh, if you can't swear any oaths, then any time you sign a contract of any kind, that's actually, that's a no, so you, so you can't sign any contract. So no signing up for LA Fitness this month, Allison. Um, also, you, you can't, uh, you know, if you go to apply for a job and it says initial here so that you swear that everything you said is truthful, like you can't do that either, so sorry, can't do that. Oh, also, if, if, if you, um, you know, if MoviePass updates their terms and conditions, which I think they do like twice a week right now, and you can't check the little box that says I agree because that's actually entering into a con- contract. Sorry, Zach. So we're all, you know, we're, we're, asked, we're asked to swear all the time. We don't even realize it. When, when you initial, I testify that the, be, the above is true and accurate, you have, to, you have to swear to fill out a FAFSA. You have to swear to, to get a job. You have to swear to buy a house. You want to vote? Civic participa- participation requires swearing an oath of some kind at some point. Feels a little, a little more tricky now, right? And, and why does Jesus care about this? And why does he want us to care about this? Why is this up there with don't murder and don't commit adultery? I mean, what really is the impact on our lives that, that it would even be in the same category as those two things? So, so I want to back up. I want to give you just a little bit of cultural context that I think will be helpful to us. Um, Jesus starts by saying, you've heard it said, but now I say, don't swear by anything. Don't swear by heaven, earth, by Jerusalem, not even by your own head. What's he talking about here? So many religions promoted oath-taking, and and these religions, these oaths would often call on that particular religion's gods uh, as their witnesses. And they believed that, you know, the people believed when they took these oaths, if, if they were to fail the oath, if they were not to fulfill it, then these deities would, would, would uh, carry out these curses against them for breaking the oath. And the Old Testament didn't forbid oath-taking. In fact, it just said not to take them hastily, but be hasty in fulfilling them. And it also said, only take them in the name of the Lord your God. However, after the Babylonian exile... Jewish people slowly stopped using the sacred name of Yahweh, uh, the name that was revealed by God to Moses, because they, they'd incurred his wrath. And so they slowly stopped using the name. They would use Lord or some other variation because his name was just too sacred to be uttered by sinful lips. So, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the, law, of the law were in a bit of a pickle because they wanted to make their promises. They wanted to swear their oaths. They wanted to do it publicly because they wanted to get credit. But they had to find a way, they, they, they weren't people who, who loosened up the reins very easily on, on a law that had already been tightened. So, so the prohibition on using the sacred name meant that they had to find something else to swear by that basically still called on God as their witness but didn't actually use his name. These were called the kinuyim, the, the surrogates. And Jesus says, no, 
Jesus says, no, no, you've heard it said, hurry up and fulfill your vow. I'm saying don't even make them at all. Because here's the thing. Here, one of the net effects of this specific practice was that the oaths that people swore on things other than the sacred name of Yahweh, they felt they weren't as important to keep. Keener writes, the further removed the oath was from the actual name of God, the less danger they faced for violating it. So, so Jesus is an anti-oath. He's, he's anti-making promises that you don't intend to keep. And, and this is where we live, guys. Right, because let's be honest, this isn't just a first century Judea thing. We, we, we learn this when we're kids, when we cross our fingers and hold them behind our back because we think that what, that somehow makes lying less awful? We do this as adults when we say, hey, yeah, thanks for the invite, I'll be there. And we know we have absolutely no intention of going. We do this all the time. And, 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 and we think just, that's just a little lie. There's no, it doesn't have big consequences. Nobody's really going to get hurt by that. People including the teachers of the law, swore on things less sacred so that if there wasn't, you know, an intent to deceive in the first place, there was at least an option to deceive without serious consequences. Because even back then, we fooled ourselves into thinking that little lies aren't a big deal. On October 30th, 1938, actor and director Orson Welles did a dramatic radio adaptation of, uh, of the novel The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. And, and the adaptation wasn't just a, a reading of the book. This was a, this was a novel about a uh, hostile Martian invasion of Earth. And, and, and the reading, it, 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 he didn't read the book. He, he wrote a, a, a mock broadcast. So it sounded like an actual broadcast from the radio about Martians invading the Earth. And they, the radio station would periodically interrupt the broadcast to say, hey guys, listen, this is just a story, it's fake, it's fictitious. But for some people who'd tuned in too late to hear the, you know, the, the disclaimer, and they tuned out too soon to hear the next interruption, they, they were terrified they were absolutely terrified. In the mounting tension that was building before World War II, they thought that, that, that we were actually being invaded. Granted, not by Martians. They thought we were being invaded by Germans um, but because the broadcast didn't always specify who the invader was. But more has probably been made of the mass hysteria that this caused than actually happened. But there are these genuine accounts of people who are terrified believing that Germans or aliens were invading our planet um, and, and they're fleeing from their homes. There was, one, there was one woman who was about to drink a bottle of poison before she was intercepted by her husband and found out that this is just a fake broadcast. And the reason that this, uh, this broadcast caused so much panic was because this was CBS, right? This was a trusted source for news. The Pharisees and the teachers were charged with interpreting the law for the people, they were charged with telling the truth. These were guides, these were lawyers, arbitrators. People put an incredible amount of faith in what they said. And, and terrible things happen to people when, when a source they believe to be truthful gives them bad information. You have to remember, Jesus ministered in a society that relied heavily on oral tradition. So, so dishonest words, the intent to deceive was, was a particularly challenging evil. Not everyone was literate. Not everyone had access to pens and paper. So, so verbal contracts were binding. So lying was really, really disruptive. But the reality is, is, that, is that today, even though we have paper contracts, even though we have email trails to prove that this person said that or they, they said this or what, that's not really how we conduct our interpersonal relationships, right? 
It's not how we conduct our relationships with one another. When I tell my husband I love him, I don't send that to him via certified mail. I just, I just say it, you know? When you tell your boss you're going to have it done by Friday, you just say it. When you tell your kid you're going to be home to take him to the pool, you just say it. When you tell someone you're committed, you just say it. We are still forced to, to, to conduct our everyday lives and relationships with a baseline assumption that people are going to tell us the truth, even if we've had much evidence to the contrary. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew dishonesty, no matter how small, is poisonous, especially in a society where, where oral contracts and, and traditions were the norm. But it's just, it's just as poisonous today. So Jesus isn't anti-oath. He's, he's pro-truth. He's pro-integrity. We live in a society of oaths and contracts because at, at the very core, we believe that people can't be trusted to keep their word. And this command, this command is so important because it, it actually preempts almost all the other sins he's going to warn us against. And at first it doesn't look like it should be in the same category as, as adultery or murder, but, 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 but think about it. If we follow this one rule, if we just do this one thing, we'll never get all the way to adultery because deception is the first step. If you don't take the first step, you can't take the second. He's not anti-oath. He's anti-deception. And he wants us to care because, because the people who represent Jesus to the world should be trustworthy. He wants us to care because our sins, no matter how small, will always affect other people. Guys, they'll never affect just us. We, we became, we became a society of oaths and contracts because of our long history of being untrustworthy. The enemy has infected us so much that now we just assume we can't take each other at our word. There, there is a cumulative effect. There's a cumulative effect of repeated deception, of, of, of doing the same wrong thing over and over again. And, and that effect is that people don't believe you anymore. They just don't believe you. When Ember was about three, she had these two imaginary pet, pet lizards uh, named Goggy and Boggy. And she was constantly talking about her pet lizards. Uh, when, when she, she would just talk about them all day long. And, and when I was a little girl, um, I had a problem with lying. And, and, and I, was, I, I was insecure, I was overweight, I was unpopular. And, and I realized that, that making up stories, sensational stories, interesting, exciting stories, uh, often got me the attention I wanted so badly from my peers. And so knowing, you know, nothing about parenting and child development, I, I began to freak out over whether or not my three-year-old had a lying problem as well. So one day we're driving to the bookstore and she says to me, real excited, Mommy, I saw one of my lizards out the window and he was wearing a bathing suit and it was rainbow colored. So I tried to, you know, investigate a bit. And so I said, babe, that's great. Is, are you playing make-believe with Mommy? And she goes, no, Mommy. There really is a lizard out there in a rainbow bathing suit. And I was like, babe, I... I don't think that's true. I, th I, th I think that might be a lie. And she said, no, it's a lizard. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I, I, she needs a little coaching here. About a week later, I pick her up from school and she, she gets in the car so excited. Mommy, I played with my lizards today and bunnies and goats and pigs. And I'm like, babe, are, are you playing make-believe with mommy? And she says, no, mommy, I'm not. And I said, Ember, I love you so much. And I know this might be, I know this might be hard to understand because you're still so small, but, but, but you're getting to be a big girl. And big girls tell the truth. And, and, and you can still play make-believe. You can still make up stories. But, but it's so important to know the difference between a story and the truth. Do you understand, babe? And her little eyes just well up with tears. And she nods. I understand, mommy. 
later that day I got the, um, you know, the daycare kind of emails you what they ate, how they slept, and all of that, what they did that day. And it says, today Ember had a great day at the petting zoo. There's a picture of her with like a goat, a bunny, a pig. I'm like, oh my, they had a petting zoo come to the daycare. Oh no, I scarred her for life because I made her feel like a liar when she was actually telling me the truth. You know, <laughs> nothing's worse. Nothing is worse than, than being accused of lying when you're telling the truth, but, but, but that's the cumulative effect of doing the same wrong thing over and over. No one wants to be accused of, of lying when we're telling We hate that. We get angry when someone accuses us of lying when we're really telling the truth. Trouble is, we, we want to be believed without putting in the hard work of being consistently honest. Not everyone has... Not everyone has to earn the right to be trusted, but not everybody's starting from a deficit either. Some of us are. And we get mad when, when people accuse us of lying, but it's possible, it's possible that we've given them excellent reasons not to trust our words. We have to be willing to put in the hard work to be consistently honest. The Pharisees swore on the surrogates because they thought if they broke the promise, the consequences wouldn't be as severe but the problem is, is that the consequences of deception, no matter how small the deception is, the consequence of deception over time will always be severe. They'll always lead us back to a place where, where we need to swear that we're telling the truth because our yes and our no have become meaningless. And it's a prison, guys. Don't live there. It's a prison cell in, in at least three ways. It's a prison first of isolation. It's a prison of isolation because we can't really be ourselves. We can't really speak freely because we're always looking back over our shoulder. We're always reviewing the mental records before we speak. Who did I say this to? What did I tell that person? One time I canceled a date with a girlfriend because I, was just, I just had this terrible, terrible day and I was exhausted and I didn't want to talk about it. And so I just said, oh yeah, my daughter's not feeling really well. Oh my goodness, that, for the next two weeks, every time I saw her, I was terrified. I keep reminding myself, okay, you told her Amber was sick. What if she asks how she's doing? I don't know what I'm going to say. Don't talk too much. Don't offer too many details. Shut up, Kaylee. Okay, don't just, it left me far more exhausted than I was when I'd canceled the date. Who can live at that speed? Who can keep up with that? Always having to think that hard before you just say hello. Guys, it's no way to live. Do, do this for me. Think of, think of the year that you graduated high school. Can you remember the year you graduated high school pretty easily? Now, now, think of the year that the Civil War happened, which is arguably a bigger deal than your diploma from Blackhawk High School from Chippewa, Pennsylvania, go Cougars. You, but you can easily recall one and not the other because one is a memory and the other is just information. Lies are just information. And they're bad information. And the more we tell them, the less we can speak freely because we, we always have to review the information. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's a prison of isolation. It's no way to live. And I'm not just talking about the big lies, so don't like let yourself off the hook here. I'm, I, I'm talking about consistent and pervasive deception, manipulating the people we love by telling them half-truths, untruths, of course, but also selective truths. We know what this means. I don't need to explain it to you. Don't, don't let yourself off the hook because you don't lie about the big stuff. That's what the Pharisees didn't get. It's all toxic. It's all toxic. It's no way to live. Second, it's a, it's a prison of resentment. Because lying isn't limited to telling bad facts. 
Verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Another translation reads, uh, simply let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. One of the commentators I was reading said, this is also about making sure that the, the, the yes of your mouth corresponds to the yes of your heart and the no of your mouth corresponds to the no of your heart. In other words, if you mean yes, just say yes. If you mean no, say no. Because if you keep saying yes, and doing things for people that you actually mean no to in your heart, you're going you're gonna to start resenting the people who have asked you. Secretly, you're going to start resenting them, and eventually it's going to come out sideways. This is codependency in one of its various manifestations, right? And it's just another form of dishonesty that imprisons us, and it's exhausting, and it's no way to live. Third, it, it creates a prison of suspicion. Because our lies don't only affect us. Lying creates prisons for us, but it also creates prisons for other people too. Because when you've been lied to, when someone has broken faith with you, you know, we can, we can begin to believe that no one in the world can be trusted. And we become calloused and cynical and angry below the surface all the time. And listen, I, I, am, I am not blaming you in the least. I am not saying that it's your fault that she lied, but, but don't make your peace with the idea that nobody can be trusted because it's a prison and it will ruin you. Believing no one can be trusted just perpetuates the problem. And you might say, well, well, clearly I don't have any control over that because so-and-so lied to me. I don't have any control over whether or not people can be trusted. Actually, you do. You have control over whether or not at least one person can be trusted. You have control over that. You can be part of the solution. Don't give that power up willingly. Verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So why do we lie? What are we so afraid of people knowing? That, that, that you know, I'm, I'm weak and, and, and this bad day was so terrible that I, I can't even muster the energy to be a good friend to you? What are we afraid of them knowing? That, that I'm a sinner? Guys, they probably already know that. They probably already know. When we lie about stuff like this, it, it seems easier up front. It does. But we avoid conversations that would make us and the people we're speaking to into better human beings. Conversations that would actually strengthen our relationship in the long run. But, but yes, there is an upfront investment. There's an upfront risk. I think we tend to only think about how much could be lost if people knew the truth about us, we, we never stop to think about how much could be gained. How much could be gained if, if we could just be free, if we could confess our sins and be free of it. The, the, the problem with covering up the truth is that you have to go on covering it up forever. It's not a finite activity. The, 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 that price that we pay for our silence will always last longer. It will always last longer than the price we'd pay for the error if we just admitted to it. When I first stepped foot into regroup, I, I was an absolute mess. I'd been making chronically bad decisions in relationships. I was living a lie to the church people who had become my community, and it was killing me. I was terrified for them to know the truth about who I was, and, and I won't sugarcoat it for you. When I first started getting healthy, it took years. It took years for, for some people who had seen me at my worst to start taking me at my word, and I don't blame them. I don't grudge them that because I lived a lie for a long time. It was, it was a painful, humbling, long walk back to integrity and trust. It was a hard price to pay for all my deceptions. But listen, because this is important, it was also 
a finite price. And eventually, eventually the day came when I'd been consistently honest long enough that people stopped asking me to swear to it. And eventually the day came when I'd been honest long enough that people just assumed I was telling the truth. And then eventually the day came that they handed me a microphone and they asked me to tell you the truth about my sins because we all want someone to jump first, right? But, but, but when they do, man, man, there's hope in that. There's freedom in that. There's, there, there's, there's freedom in the possibility of being known. I still, I still wake up shocked on days that I get to preach. I, I don't know whose idea this was, but I strongly question their judgment because I know where I've been. I know what I've done. The only, I, I know the only leg that I have to stand on is grace. But guys, it is a much stronger leg than anything I've stood on before. So much, so much stronger than, 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 than the false reputation that I had to upkeep with all of my deceptive words. I could not manufacture a foundation stronger than the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't waste years of your life trying to salvage a reputation that you're going to have to tell more lies in order to keep. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yes, there's an upfront cost, but the cost is finite. You won't keep paying it forever. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Jesus is telling us with this line, it's, it's a life of integrity that he's after, not just the outward forbiddance of oath-taking. It's a life of integrity because, guys, here's the reality. As Christians, our whole life is under oath. Our whole life. Bruner writes, the positive focus of Jesus' truth command is this. The whole of Christian speech is to be invisibly oath-laden, transparently honest. By obeying this little command, a Christian's whole life is invested with the seriousness of an oath. Jesus is saying, look, you don't need to make oaths your whole lives because if you follow me, you've already declared your loyalty. We cannot compartmentalize our lives anymore into the Christian parts and the secular parts. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you declare your loyalties. We don't call on God as our witness when we make a problem because God is a witness to every word we will ever say. God is a witness to every action we will ever perform, to every thought we will think. As a follower of Jesus, we've, we forfeit the right to separate the, the sacred from the secular anymore. You understand? It's, it, the only secular thing that you and I will ever do again is when we sin. Oaths are not the problem. The problem is that as Christians, we shouldn't need them in order to be trusted. I shouldn't have to swear to you that I'm telling the truth. I should just, I should just tell you the truth. I shouldn't have to swear to you that I'm going to keep the porcelain doll you made me in ceramics class. I should just say that I'm going to keep it. But we all know I'll never say that because I don't want to be murdered by tiny hands in my sleep. Our, our, whole, li- our whole lives are under oath. We are Christ's ambassadors, which means the words we speak are no longer spoken only on our behalf. And listen, I know what you're scared of. What's going to happen when they know. I promise you, I I know exactly what it feels like to know that you're about to be found out and to think that it may actually kill you. It won't. I know what you're scared of. What if I'm not ready to quit? What if I find out that I can't? You can. At least, at least for today. 
You know, you know why people go into recovery? It's, it's not because they think they're never going to sin again. It's because they refuse to make their peace with that sin. There's, there's an enormous difference between sinning and making your peace with sin. I know people in recovery who have a relapse every other week, and every other week they reach out for help. Every other week they, they go to their group, they confess, they repent, they make a plan to keep it happening from, uh, again. For some of these guys, like, like this sin is beating down their door on a minute-by-minute minute basis, but still they refuse to say, well, you know what, that's just the way it is. I've tried to quit, it's not happening, this is just who I am. No, it most certainly is not. It most certainly is not. Who you are is an image bearer of Jesus Christ. What you do is a choice, but who you are, who you are is, is the salt of the earth. Who you are is the light of the world. Who you are is a royal priesthood. Who you are is a, is a temple of the living God. That's who you are. And don't let anybody tell you different, not even you. Not even you. Ephesians 5.8, for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. In Jesus, we already are children of the light. Guys, we just have to learn to be ourselves. Most of the moral heavy lifting in our faith is just about learning to be ourselves. The old you only feels more like the real you because it's been around the longest. Not, 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 because, that's be, it's not because it's who you are. Feelings are real, but they are not truth. The, the first job that I had at, at Summit years and years ago was, was to cut checks, uh, like 10 hours a week, just a little contract deal. And I'd been in regroup, and so I was, I was getting honest, brutally honest, um, about myself, uh, to myself and to others for the first time. And, and, and I was, I was making, I'd been making enormous changes in my behavior. I was, I was living in the light. I was keeping my body in the right place. I was practicing integrity. I was, I was taking all the steps. But I remember this feeling that stuck to me, and it, and it stuck to me like long past the time that I had started making all the right changes. This feeling stuck to me, this feeling that, that, that this fear that I was going to be found out and that it was all going to be over. And so one day um, I got an email from Isaac, who was our lead pastor at the time, and he said, hey, I, I need you to come to my office. We have to talk. And, and I immediately just broke out into a sweat. This was it. This was when I get caught. This is when I get fired and everything good crumbles away. I don't even know what I did, but I'm sure that I did it. So, you know, I like walk down the hallway. I open the door to his office. I go in. I sit down. He says, Kaylee, I need you to send an email to the staff asking them to stop going number two in the, in the toilet next to my office. And I remember, I remember laughing out loud, not just because he didn't want to be the one to tell the staff that his office smelled like poop, but, but because I, I remember laughing because I was so relieved. I, was so, I, I couldn't believe that it had nothing to do with me. That feeling, I, gosh, I know it follows us, guys. I know it's hard to shake. It follows us. It took a good two years before I stopped being afraid of emails from John Parker or from Isaac or from John. Anytime they said me, I was like, oh, what do I do now? I know the feeling, I know the feeling sticks to you, but, but, but it is finite. Eventually, eventually the, the feelings catch up with the reality. And, and the freedom in that, the, the, the freedom in that is beyond anything I can describe to you especially those of you who, like me, have lived in hiding before. There's so much freedom, and, 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 and it's so hard because you know you're lying. You know you're lying to them, and it's killing you, or worse, it's no longer killing you anymore because you're so used to the feeling. 
You don't have to live there. When I was preparing for the sermon, I, I asked some of my regroup leaders to tell me what had been most transformative for them when they started to tell the truth, and I wanted to share with you some of their answers. One person writes, telling the truth has helped me to become courageous because it's so hard in that moment, and I have to be courageous in Christ because I'm, I know I'm probably not going to do it right, and if I can't be perfect, at least I can be brave. One person writes, truth makes me stand out from the world. Not because I'm talking about God all the time or preaching, but because a life marked by truth is a life marked by God. One person writes, telling the truth means I'll never have to worry about being found out again. Telling the truth with my words brings light into my life. And when my life is lit up, there is no opportunity for shame to get its shackles on me. Guys, that's freedom. It's freedom from the prison of isolation, from the prison of resentment, from the prison of suspicion. Don't willingly submit to a prison that you have the power to walk out of. Regroup is a place where you can begin to tell the truth about who you are, about what you've done, about what's been done to you. And, and just like these folks are saying, there is, there is so much freedom in it. Don't, don't waste your, your, your life in hiding, in isolation. One leader wrote, When I lie, my heart becomes conditioned to be tricky. So when the big decision comes and I have to lie or tell the truth, my tricky heart slips into lying and the lies become bricks in a wall that builds up around my heart. You don't have to live with a wall around your heart. That is the freedom and the power of honesty. And, 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 and maybe, you know, you're a Christian and maybe you've already been honest with God. That's great. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's great. You're in. You believe in Jesus. You, you've, you've confessed. You've repented. You're cleansed. You're in the kingdom. But also James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Healing in this lifetime comes from confession and prayer with one another. Don't rob yourself of healing and freedom on earth by limiting your confession to God alone. Don't put bricks around your heart to keep people out. Yes, you may still get to heaven, but you might not know anybody there. Or at least they might not know you. And that would be a bummer for both of us. So consider this my formal invitation for you to join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for the fall kickoff of Regroup. Lake Mary, Waterford folks, I know it's a hike, but man, it's worth it. Some of those quotes were coming from people who are sitting right next to you now. Men in 33rd, uh, this is going to be Tuesday night for you at 7.30 p.m. Uh, women in 33rd, I wish that you could be with us. But you don't have to be at Regroup to begin practicing walking away from the places that you're stuck. You can do that with the people who are sitting right next to you and around you, being honest, being truthful, allowing yourself to take some of those bricks down. So for everyone who's coming tomorrow night, you don't need to bring anything. Just bring yourself and let us get to know the real you together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you give us the opportunity to do this in the midst of community. Lord, I don't know, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have this community around me that showed Jesus to me, that, that, that allowed me to be the person who I really was. Lord, there's so much freedom that comes through living in the light, through confession, through, through truth. And I just want everyone to have it, Lord. It, it changed my life, and I want everyone to experience that. 
So Lord, for every one of us here who's in hiding, for every one of us here who feels too ashamed to tell people who we really are, to be really known, Lord, just remind us that the work's already done. We don't have to be afraid because we are covered in your grace through the sacrifice of your blood, Lord. We don't have to be afraid, but but we're missing out. We're missing out on what it feels like to be free and healed on this side of heaven. Lord, give us the courage not to miss out any longer. Give us the courage to take those first steps into honesty, into community, in the midst of your grace. Lord, we're grateful and we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen.